Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Happy Palm Sunday. This is a big deal in our faith. To really be, it's the beginning of something that's about to happen really big. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're with us online as well. God bless you all. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, And the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. From river to the ends of the earth. As for you. Because of of the blood of my covenant with you. I will free your prisoners. From the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. These words were written by the prophet Zechariah about 548 years before Jesus entered the city gate of Jerusalem, prophesying correctly everything that is about to happen before our eyes. And even the rains have come down to remind us that God is in control, that's for sure. It is springtime, isn't it, in Georgia, I have found. As I walked out of my house and I went to the car, and I have a silver car, but for some reason it has now green. (laughs) So I wasn't sure if someone over the night came out with some paint. Yes, spring is here, as the weather reminds us. But actually, I do need a car wash, so this works out. Yeah. But these words spoken by Zechariah 548 years before the entry of Jesus. See, this would be be like the German monk, monk, Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation in 1521, predicting that there would be a pandemic to us today exactly this year, 500 years later. We would be a little surprised and shocked that the prophecy would come true. This is the experience that the people of Israel are going through. See, Jesus, right now, where we're in our story at this moment, is we're picking up 
is that Jesus is setting the scene. He's, he's laying down the groundwork for what the next week is going to be all about. The long-awaited king of Israel has finally made his triumphal entry into the holy city of Jerusalem, the city of David. If only, if only his, his people were remembered the prophecy if they can just remember the pro- if they could just remember their history as a people it has been so long so long since the jews have seen a king enter its gates this generation of israel the one right now has only known of roman rule and oppression since birth They have only heard of stories of kings returning from battle, of King David and all the mighty acts that he has done, entering the city gate with cheers and and welcome homes from a job well done, recognizing that God is their God. The God of Israel is only a child's story growing up. And it's now time, right here in this moment, time for Jerusalem to have her king. The king that was from the bloodline of David, that that Jeremiah himself said would bring a new covenant to his people, that Daniel said would be be the, the salvation of the nation of Israel, even as they were being released from Babylon after 70 years of bondage. The king that Isaiah said would be born of a virgin and will be a suffering servant for his people. And now, Zechariah, who said, keep your eyes out for this king. You're going to be looking for him on the back of a war horse, but he won't be there. He'll be on the back of the humble donkey. And so it begins, the very first Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we just pray in this moment and just ask for your word to come to life and to jump off these pages and into our hearts and into our minds. I stand here as I do on most Sundays and I have one simple prayer that the words I say be truth from your scripture if they're not, to correct me in my tract. That, Father, that if I don't present your word in a way that is just appealing and interesting, God, that's because of my flesh, my weakness, Lord. So I pray that your words be spoken among those who have ears and are willing to listen, to hear the goodness and greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, God, this is, this is our prayer as we begin our time on Palm Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, as we get started on our journey into the, it's really the Holy Week and into Jerusalem and on Palm Sunday, we actually, in order to get the whole picture, we, we have to go back about 24 hours, right before Jesus entered into the city that day. So 24 hours before this, he, along with his disciples, arrived in the small city of of Bethany earlier that week, uh, only just a few miles south or outside of Jerusalem. 
And if you remember from our conversation last week, uh, Bethany has received some attention recently. It has really gotten uh, people buzzing and chatting about what's going on in that little bitty old village down there. You see, just a few days before that, this was the city that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And now people know where Bethany is. And after Lazarus was resurrected, after Jesus stood outside his tomb and told him to come out, and, and Lazarus came out, bandages and all, and, and, and they cleaned him up, and now he's, a, he's alive as you and me. And so at that point, Jesus and his disciples and the group did what you normally do after you resurrect your friends from the dead. You went and had dinner at his house. And so they all went together. Polly came out and said, you know, I'm a little hungry. All right, well, come on, let's go. And so they went over to Lazarus' house, and they were sitting down at the table together having a meal, having dinner with one another. And it was at this dinner, at this time, when they were eating and sharing, and probably if it was me in that same room, I'd be looking at Lazarus and just being amazed that you were there, but now you're breaking bread here. How is this happening? And it's probably among that crowd there that Lazarus' sister, Mary, she came into the table, into the area, and she brought with her some very expensive perfume. Now, it was customary that you would go and clean the feet of your guests. That's not really anything out of the norm. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, just, just to clean it, it was just a customary thing to do. But today, in this day, in this moment, Mary brought with her a very, very expensive perfume. Something you probably wouldn't really normally clean your guest's feet with. And then she comes over and starts to lay it on Jesus' feet and covering it. And then she grabs her hair and starts to wipe Jesus' feet down, drying it off to give it the scent, the aroma of good, sweet goodness. And as she was doing this, Judas, one of the disciples sitting at the table, objected to this, commanded her to stop doing this, and that, that this was a waste of money. Judas was concerned, of course, of the, of the image, the looks of using this expensive perfume to, to clean the feet of Jesus. What a waste. We can use that perfume for so much more. But Jesus, without hesitation, silenced the table and said, stop. Mary, you can finish. And so she continues. The disciples, they, they missed it that night. They missed it, sitting there with Jesus having dinner. The perfume wasn't being wasted. It wasn't a, an act of, of look at my wealth or even an, as an appreciation of raising my brother from the dead. But really, I think, I think, I don't know, I'm just reading into this too, but I think it was a symbol of Jesus preparing maybe his heart for burial. Because you would do that. And here it is. Let her finish. Preparing myself. Now having a quiet dinner with Jesus was probably hard to find these days. There was no quiet dinners because every time, at least at this point in the scriptures, you would normally see they were having dinner. And then right on the next probably verse, or even in the same verse, you would hear or, or read 
that a large crowd started to gather. Have you heard that term before? That's kind of something that we hear over. We've heard it actually every week almost leading up to this point. That Jesus was doing this and then a large crowd started to gather. Well, this was no different. In fact, this is probably one of the larger crowds that have gathered up to this point. Only because Jesus was doing, well, I mean, I'm not, not, I mean, gosh, she did some pretty amazing things so far. But into the eyes of the Jewish people and into the eyes of us on earth, we're questioning, going, okay, well, maybe he has some healing. Maybe he can do this. Maybe he can do that. But the fact that he told Lazarus, a dead man, to walk out of the tomb, and now he has breath and life in his lungs and in his soul, this is unquestionable. This is unquestionable, what we're witnessing here. And so the crowd in Bethany is getting bigger and bigger because we must see for ourselves. We have to see with our own eyes. Is this true? Is this really Lazarus? Is this a guy pretending to be Lazarus? No, no, no. He's my brother. This is really him. And so this is, this is remarkable. I mean, I never even expected a guy like Jesus to be able to, to do that. Maybe if he stubbed her toe, he can do something with that. But, but coming out of the tomb, goodness. And so the crowd gets bigger and bigger. And so Lazarus is probably really enjoying his dinner here going, okay, well, this is going to be getting interesting really soon. And at dinner, is, and they're, they're breaking bread and they're sharing with each other. And the people were amazed. They were in awe, just looking into the house going, this is, this is the one. He's the one that did it. Maybe, maybe you know, I can even hear them outside of, uh, of the house there. I can almost hear them just saying, maybe, is this, is this the Messiah? Is this the, what, the king that we've been waiting for? Are we here in the presence of the Messiah? Could it be him? And I can just hear the crowd going back and forth outside doing that. And Lazarus is like, would you like some more, some more matzah? Here you go. Tastes better on this side of things, that's for sure, you know? And so I'm sure that they're, you know, just having their dinner together. Well, just a few miles up the road in the city of Jerusalem, the scripture in John says, that the chief priest was uh, hearing these reports from Bethany. And he was not particularly uh, excited as everybody else. What do you mean Lazarus has been brought back from the dead? That's impossible. Even I can't do that. And so the scripture says that he gathered all of the saying, all the Pharisees all together and there, the religious officials, the high priest himself, the scripture says that that night, along with the Sanhedrin, they collectively began to plot the killing of Lazarus. To take him out. Because his very existence threatened them. That the existence of Lazarus, that the existence of a man who has been given life again, breath in his lungs, is threatening the order that has existed for so long. Not the order, by the way, the order that God created, not the law that he put in place, but the law and the order that man has tainted over time. That we have taken what God has created as good, and we have taken it for our own gain and powerful benefits. That you will do as I say because I am X, Y, Z. Now go. And so Jesus does not come to, to, to end or abolish the law. He's here to fulfill it. 
that you, people of Israel, human beings, have taken what my father said was good and have corrupted it. I can put breath in this man's lung. And he's new again. He is anew. And so they plot to kill Lazarus. And after a quite extensive research, because I was just curious myself, I have found that history is not clear if they actually succeeded or not in their task. The Western and the Eastern churches have different takes on that. But there's no actual certain documentation if they were actually succeeded in the killing of Lazarus. Which then leads us to the next morning. Jesus and the disciples make the journey over to Jerusalem. Now it is time to head that way. Now this was a journey that that all of them have made year after year, multiple times. This is not the first time that they're walking to the city of Jerusalem. They've done it a number of times. For as long as they have been alive, they've gone into the city. Every year, every single year, every Jew traveled to Jerusalem for the week-long festival of Passover. Passover. Now, some of us gathered here last Wednesday, and in this room, we were able to share together in a Seder dinner. And experience was what would be kind of a more modern look at Passover. But to see the meal and the symbolism and the meaning behind that, that dinner. And so now everyone is traveling to Jerusalem to do this together. Which, by the way, would have started this just the night before a sundown is when Passover began in Israel. Which also, by the way, it started sundown last night for us today is Passover. Happy Passover. Well, the only difference about this particular trip going into Jerusalem, going into the holy city, the city of David, something they've done a thousand times that the disciples probably didn't even bat an eye because guess what? We're going to be doing it again next year as we come to the great city of David. But this time, as Jesus was going with his disciples, he, especially Jesus, knew that this was going to be the last time that he would enter this city through the gate. For now, that is. For now. But he knew it would be the last time he'd be entering it with the side of his disciples. Come on, guys, let's go. Now, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus had any flashbacks of the many different times he came over to Passover all throughout the years. Perhaps he recalls or remembers the time when he came with his parents when he was 12 years old. And, and after the festival had ended, his parents left the city, left 12-year-old Jesus in Jerusalem by mistake and left him, most likely traveling back with the, the caravan from Nazareth. The whole village kind of traveled together. That's what they did. And so they all left. So it's likely with the whole village traveling that they just thought Jesus was playing with Hosea over there and just, you know, thought nothing of it. And so they realized he's not at a Hosea's tent tonight. And so where is Jesus? And that is the moment they realized we left our son. Any parents ever experienced that feeling before? Or you kind of take a look around and say, where is my child? 
right? Your heart goes like this, right? And so no matter what, no matter what you were doing, nothing matters anymore. You immediately start trying to find. So they rush back to Jerusalem, which the scripture says took them three days after they left to arrive. So three days, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for three days, 12 years old. I don't even know, man, if my son did that, well, I'd be impressed, I'll tell you that. I'd be impressed if he could make it that long. But, but three days, I will tell you, that's a long time. And so they come back and they find Jesus, their son, at the temple. And he was teaching the teachers. He was teaching them the word of God. And they were, they were listening to him. They weren't making him quiet. They were listening to him. Who, who's taught you all these things, young one? And of course, Mary and Joseph come in. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's Jesus. Come on. Come on. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Come on. I'm going I'm to talk to you later. You better get back in that caravan right now. I'm so sorry. You know, come on this way. And, I, and she just expresses her worry for young Jesus. And Jesus says, why were you worried? I'm at my father's house. I know this place. I know this place. Or maybe he thought of a Passover that was just three years ago, just three years prior, when he, with just a couple of disciples then, he was still kind of building the old gang together there, so a couple went into Jerusalem, but when he went in for the Passover this time, something he's done many times, something was different. He went into the area and just saw the corruption and the sin that was taking place. But little Jesus of Nazareth has grown up now. And so he steps in there and he sees that, that, that his own people, that, that, that God's nation is using God's law and system for profit and gain, that they are exchanging money, that they're selling sacrifice, that you didn't bring a lamb, you forgot, no problem. I've got one right here, that'll be 400 dinar, whatever you know. And they would just make money off the exchange it right there. We hope you forgot your sacrifice. We hope you forgot these things because we'll sell you one for a good price, my friend, good price. We will sell you one. And they make money and profit. And Jesus is walking into this environment and he just gets to the point where he says, this is my father's house. And he goes and starts flipping all the tables over. Flipping it over, flipping it over. That this is a, not a house of uh, a den of thieves. This is, this, is, this is my father's house. By the way, that was the first of two times he flipped tables in the temple. He did it again later. But man... He can just feel it. And then the last thing, I wonder, I wonder on this day, particularly, as they were walking into Jerusalem for the last time, I wonder if the disciples picked up or noticed that they didn't, at least according to Scripture, I haven't found this in Scripture, that they didn't bring with them an animal sacrifice this year. That they didn't bring with them a lamb or I'm wondering if they just kind of picked up and noticed, huh, because Jesus knew that there wasn't going to be need for one this particular year. Something else was coming. 
And so as they get closer, the tension of Rome is very true. It's very real. It's stronger and stronger. Every step that they take closer to Jerusalem, and I'm not going to imagine that, that as they get closer and closer, a Roman guard sitting all in their gear and just staring and watching as you come in. It's just a constant reminder, a constant reminder that the great city of David fell and is now owned by a pagan society. They call your shots. They are your God will allow you to do this. But Jesus finally, in the midst of this tension, in the midst of what's happening, tells one of his disciples to go and fetch him a donkey. Go, go get me a donkey. And so they, they, they rushed off and brought it back, an animal that represents peace and humility. And then a crowd started to gather, actually most likely the same crowd who was there for Lazarus' resurrection has gathered to witness Jesus enter this city. And he hops on the donkey there, sits on it. It's probably not very comfortable. I'm from Texas, so, you know, donkeys, horses, and these sorts of things are kind of up our alley. And so, you know, know, they're kind of of an awkward animal. I'm just going to say that. But he sits back there getting on this donkey, and he starts kind of galloping, I'm sure. It's not like a humble steed, you know what I'm saying? Is just galloping up into this little thing. Probably not an impressive sight. Let's just call it that way. However, I do enjoy seeing a good donkey. I don't know what it is. I enjoy seeing a, just There's something about the animal that you just kind of go. Man. Yeah. God loves you. You know. There's just something about it. I can't turn my eyes away, you know. So here we are. Jesus is on that. He's on that animal. (laughs) Kind of stumbling into Jerusalem. And so this crowd, interesting enough, sees him coming on this donkey and they grab palm branches off and they start to waving them. And some even begin to put them on the road in front of the donkey. And, they, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're just excited that, that the palm branches is a practice that's dating back all the way to the book of Leviticus, actually, when Moses instructed the people to use palm branches to display celebration and rejoicing for the nation. And so they're grabbing and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And they're shouting and they're like, and he's going in. And in this moment, friends, we can see it in scripture that in this moment, the 548 year old prophecy is finally being fulfilled before their eyes. Israel's king, Israel's great king has finally returned home like a king who is returning from battle with the people shouting his name and giving him welcomes and honors for the king has finally arrived back home. However, not everyone, not everyone was excited to see the great king's arrival. The high priest has his eye on Jesus the moment he enters that gate. I'm interested in that man. Let's keep an eye on him. I've heard about your reputation precede you, Jesus. Let's see what he's up to this week. Seems to be a little uh, 
They're waving some palm branches over there. Okay, all right. I see that. And it's this time when we enter through the gate that the high priest, already in his mind, I believe, is plotting to make sure that this will be the last time that man enters the gate. I'm done with this. I'm the high priest. I have a very important job. I'm to bring God's word to the people, but I'm also supposed to keep Rome happy so they don't squander us. And you're mixing, you're ruining this. Let's make sure this is his last. And so Jesus enters the city and he begins to, to teach and preach and heal and then he starts to bless. Because time was not on his side. And he knew it. So this is what I find most interesting, guys. As I'm going through here and I'm writing this and studying and reading, is that I find most interesting is actually in the scripture, John 12, verse 16, which states that even the disciples, the ones that traveled with him side by side, did life with him, saw miracles, saw healing, saw all this stuff. The who saw him walk on water, who, did, who calmed the storm. I mean, this guy, the, the, these guys who've seen you, things that you and I wish we could see and be there for. That these guys here, according to John 12, 16, that they didn't realize that the prophecy was being fulfilled in the moment it was happening. That when they, when he was on the back of the donkey, when the palm branches were waving around, that Zechariah prophesied this, that even the disciples themselves did not recognize or see that the prophecy was actually coming to truth. That they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And the scripture says that they did, it didn't click for them. The light bulb didn't turn on until after Jesus' death. Oh, gosh. There it is. There it is. Let me tell you what this shows. This shows that prophecy is something that is organic and God-ordained. It's not human orchestrated. That's not what prophecy is. That even a group of people who've spent their entire like, adult life you know, traveling and, and ministering with this miracle maker, this way maker, this Messiah, that these people who are day in and day out, can, if they missed it, we can too. We can miss things. We can miss God moving things. I'm going to tell you right now that one year ago, none of us were in here. None of us were. I was actually still in Texas. And I was trying to figure out what does an Easter look like when we can't be in the same room together? That when we can't have the egg hunt, that we can't wave our palm branches. One year ago, all of us shuddered into our homes, not knowing what tomorrow was going to bring, not sure what the outcome of a year later was going to look like. I know we're not done. I know there's still more steps to go. I know that. 
But a year ago, all of us, including myself, and I'd be lying to you if I felt like if I told you I had some magical answers, but all of us in this room didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. And I'm going to say, a year later, looking back, that God is moving. God is moving. That through this last year, when we were really hunkering down for safety, but then maybe also giving up some of our personal preferences, that in that process, finally, finally, the Spirit of God was able to break out and say, this is, the, this is what the Word of God is. The Word of God is people lining up at our doors at the church and saying that we're hungry, that we've lost our job, we have nowhere to go. This is the Word. The Word says, go and feed my sheep. Go. And so while we were not able to gather into me this last year, people knew Jesus perhaps for the first time ever. And then we were able to proclaim this message to the masses, to the, to the world, streaming online. And I say for those watching online, God bless you. Because this is a powerful God. This is the real deal, guys. Church is not Sunday morning. You see, the triumphal entry wasn't about just the moment of the donkey arriving through the gates, but what was going to take place on the other side of it what it was leading up to, what it was building up to. We know how this story, we know what week we're about to go into, where we're about to walk into, Holy Week. We know what Friday means and we know what Sunday is coming. But I'm gonna say right now in our life in 2021, that this pandemic a year, maybe that was just the, just the triumphal entry, just the beginning of whatever God is wanting to do for his church. And so here as your pastor, I'm just gonna to say to you today, is that don't close your heart to the, to the impossible. Don't close your heart to the, to the unorthodox step. I don't know. All I know is that as a core officer, as a, as, as, a, as a minister of the gospel, is that when God says, try this, do this, jumping down to it, that's what we do. That's what we do. And so, church, we're going into Holy Week. We're going into Holy Week. And I want, here's what I want you to do. This next week, I want you to spend intentional time in prayer. Intentional time. Something you're going to carve out in your day. Each day this week. And if God has placed it on your heart to fast, I want you to fast. Because when we get through Easter, and we see, oh boy, we see that resurrection? And we see, the, we see our Lord and Savior coming out of that too. Not, not because Lazarus stood outside Jesus' tomb and said, come on out. But because Jesus has the power to raise himself. That death doesn't stop him. This is the God, guys. This is it. And so this next week, pray, fast, and ask God to move our church with him. Not, God, can you catch up with us? But where do you want us to go with you? Can you do that? I'll do that too. And Holy Week this year is going to be a reflection of what our Holy Week looked like last year, uncertainties and unknown. Holy Week this year is going to be what's to come.
What's to come? We're entering the gate. What's to come? God bless you all. God bless you all. Father, we just pray in this time now that this church here in Gwinnett move, Lord. Just First of all, first of all, we want you to move. We actually are, are calling upon the name of, of Jesus to say that the same Jesus, the same Messiah of the scripture that we're, that we're reading and studying, that this is the God that we believe in today, that this is the same power that we know exists today. So Father, here in this church, call us to do whatever you think we need to do. And then, Lord, our commitment to you is we'll listen and we'll respond. Father, fall, let, let your, 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 your mercy and your compassion, your knowledge, your understanding, your wisdom fall on your people. Maybe look back to the, all these prophecies and just clear and go, oh, there it is. So, Lord, this is our prayer as we build up to this weekend. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I love y'all. It is an honor that I get to come and preach the gospel every week. And I get to say today, as we're talking about prophecy, that you and I are still waiting for one to be fulfilled. Don't think this is stuff that happened just back then. He's returning. He's returning. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.